If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 9, or it'll be up on the screen here. But the Bible says here in these passages of Scripture, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, that he was moved with compassion uh, on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers, into the harvest field. Jesus said in these passages of Scripture, Daniel, He said it's harvest time. He said it's harvest time. We're living in the time of harvest. Amen? And He said the harvest is plenteous. We're going to complain about souls when Jesus said, look, the harvest out there is plenteous. Everywhere you look, there's a harvest. There's a harvest of souls that are out there. And it's ripe, He said. It's plenteous. It's ready, the Bible says. And what did He see that caused Him, Caleb, to look out there at this time that He's living in and to say it's right, it's white, it's ready, it's plenteous. What caused the Jesus to look out and do that? Did he look out there and see a spiritual awakening going on at the time that he came onto the earth? Did he look out there and see the priest beginning to turn to him and to come and say, look, the Messiah's here? Did he, did he look and see scribes and Pharisees that were beginning to go out to John and say, baptize me, John, baptize me. I want to be ready. I want to be ready to meet the Lord. I want repentance. I want to change my heart and I want to change my life and I want to get ready to meet God. Is that what he saw when he looked out and he came into this earth at that particular time when he looked out and he said the harvest is ready? No, that's not what he saw. That's not exactly not what he saw. He said it's ripe, but it's plenteous. What about the... He he didn't see anything like that. He didn't see a turning of spiritual awakening. He didn't see the priests coming and running and changing that were uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. Yet he said it's ripe and it's plenteous. What about the masses of people living here today? Or or the masses of people at that time? Was there a turning to God in their hearts? I don't see any... evidence of this in the religious crowd. I don't see uh, any. In fact, they wanted to kill him. Every time they got him together and they had him up on the brow of the hill, they wanted to take him and they wanted to take him to the edge of the brow mark and they wanted to push him off. They wanted to shove him off and they wanted to kill him. What about the th- the Bible says that he came into the temple and he said, hey, there's nothing in here but thieves and robbers in my father's house. My father's house ought not to be a place where it's made merchandise and selling and heaping more uh, condemnation on people and, and, and keeping them blind and keeping them ensnared and keeping them enslaved by the devil's power. He said there's thieves and robbers that have taken over the temple. Then he said, what about the cities? Was there revival in the cities when he said there's, that the harvest is plentiful? No. He said things like this. Woe to you Chorazan. Woe to you Bethsaida. Woe to you Tyre. Woe to you Sidon. Woe to you Capernaum. Woe to you. Woe, woe, Whoa, whoa, and whoa, amen, on the cities that were facing times at this place. There was no evidence. There was no spiritual awakening. And the masses were in total distress, wandering around the hills like a sheep, uh, like, a, like, like sheep having no shepherd. They were wandering along the hillsides. They were, they were there with nobody to feed them. And yet Jesus, to a stressed out, depressed society, listen to what he says in Matthew 3, 9, 36. 
He says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion to them because they were distressed. Man, does that not sound like our day today? That's why a lot of people aren't in the houses of God today. They're distressed. They're bowed down. They're with anxious. They have anxious hearts. They're weighed down with the dissipation of this life. They're troubled. They have anxiety. They have worry. They have fear. To the point it's making them sick. To the point it's making them not even want to go out of their houses and face life anymore. To the point our teenagers are committing suicide at record numbers today. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were distressed and they were downcast like sheep having no shepherd. And do these words about fields being white and sheep having no shepherd and plenteous harvest today have any meaning for us? I mean, is society... What does our society look like today? It's becoming more secular. It's becoming more godless. It's, become, it's becoming more wicked and more defiled and more violent by the day. Millions are turning to false religions just in droves. Our young people are experiencing with witchcraft. They're experiencing with, with, with yoga. They're experiencing with transcendental meditation. They're experiencing with all kinds of psychedelics and drugs and all sorts of wickedness and foolishness. They're experimenting with Islam. They're experimenting with Buddhism. They're experimenting with New Age. They're experimenting with no God at all and atheism. And just we're seeing no evidence evidence that there's a moving or turning to God by, our, by, the, by the people or the masses. There's no moving or turning to God by the religious crowd. There's move, no moving. In fact, the churches are empty now more than they've ever been. We're closing more churches in this day and time. you got to drive through a bunch now because the pastors are quitting. The shepherds are quitting. The church people are moving. They're shutting their doors. There's more infighting there than there is infighting in the world. Amen? There's no God in government. Come on. And Jesus comes at this time when He says the fields are ready. They're white. They're ripe. He comes to this point, and this is the same time period when He went into the city of Jerusalem and He wept over the city. And he began to say, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I would love to gather you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her arms and protects them. But you would not let me. You missed your hour of visitation, folks. And Jesus comes and he says, your city is going to be left to you desolate. It's going to be desolate. However, it's harvest time. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. Man, you look like it's not. But I hope by the end of this message, the church of Jesus Christ and Brookside Church of God would wake up. It's harvest time. Listen, Jesus gives a picture of the last days. 
And he bid the last days began at the ascension. And the last days, he said, this will be what it's like despite your television preachers that lie to you. Listen to what he said. He said that the earth will be full of distress. He said the Bible, it will be a time like never before. He said there will be confusion on every turn and at every hand. He said the sea and the waves will be roaring. He said men's hearts will be filling them for fear, looking at the things which are coming upon the earth. He said the powers of heaven and earth are going to be shaken. And he said false Christ are going to come on the earth like never before. And they're going to lead so many astray. He said nations will be divided against nation. He said famine will come on the earth. He said earthquakes will come. He said tribulation would come. And he said believers you, you will be hated by all men. I just think you need to know the real Jesus and the real Bible. Many will fall away. Because why? Something we don't like to preach about and some of you don't even like making mention of? Sin! Something God hates still to this day. Right? And the love of many will wax cold. And false prophets will arise and deceive many. And folks, these prophecies are being fulfilled every day of our lives. We are the most stressed out generation. I can see it in your faces right now. We are the most stressed out. We are the most depressed generation of all time. Our generation causes the vilest sinners, if they were to rise up, they would blush at what we do today in our society and around the globe today. Folks, you've got to be in denial if you don't see that everything in this world is being shaken that can be shaken. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yet Jesus said, get all your eyes off of these conditions. <laughs> Look unto the fields. They're already ready. They're right unto harvest. Look at the fields. They're ready. They're ready to be harvested. They're ready to bring in a harvest. Listen, can I tell you something? Men, the Bible just follow the pattern of Scripture. Follow history. Do you not understand that in, it usually, in, in most times, in prosperity, men turn from God? In most times, when we get to great prosperity and great times like we've been experiencing in our nation, and for now, for a long, long period of time, in most of those times, men began to, to get self-sufficient. They began to begin to lean on their own understanding. They began to say, I got this. I got the big, I got the little things. God, you handle the big things. And they began to lean on, the, on themselves and turn from God. And we see this pattern all throughout the scripture. And that's why the law of the harvest is simply this. The darker the generation, the wider the harvest. The darker the generation, the wider the harvest. Don't get so downcast. Don't get so depressed don't get so discouraged that it's getting dark right now because the darker the generation the wider the harvest you've been praying for souls you've been praying for your family member you've been praying for people to fill these seats you've been praying that you can reach out and witness to somebody well get ready now is the time listen lift up your heads look unto the fields they're white unto harvest already Hallelujah. The darker the times, the more open we are to the gospel. Come on. There's, there, there, there's come a time 
of distress upon Israel. And, and you remember, you remember what happens. They're in bondage. They've been in bondage for a long time, the children of Israel, under, under uh, uh, Egypt's bondage. And the Bible comes one day, or, or God comes one day, sends a deliverer. Moses says, harvest is coming. And there's a deliverance that's going to come. Nine calamities are going to come. Nine national calamities are going to come. And then harvest is coming. They're going to be let out. They're going to go. And, and, and here's what he says. He tells them, prepare yourself. Get ready for harvest. Get ready for this national deliverance. Get ready. And, and, and all of a sudden, he says, that, look, nine are going to come. And they're going to be able to blame it on, on national calamity. They're going to be able to blame it on global warming. Just get ready. Almost send all kinds of things that are going to come their way that's going to cause them to deliver you. But the first nine, they're just going to discount them and say, well, that's just a, that's just coincidence, man. It was a bad tornado. It was a bad plague. It was a bad this. It's global warming. It's this, it's that, it's that other. But God said when the tenth one comes, they're going to know. They're not going to be able to say this was a national calamity. They're not going to be able to say this was something else. They're going to say only God could do this. This was done by the mighty hand of God. Hey, Moses, your God is the God. Go. You want your people to go? Go. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is here. The harvest is ready. Let the people go. And he let the people go, the Bible says, in that moment. Listen to what the Bible says. What, what will it take for our world to turn to God today? What do you think it will take for people to turn to God in this world today? I mean, I mean, I mean what's it going to take for some of our friends and some of our family members and some of our people to, to turn? The Bible says Israel waxed fat and they prospered. They waxed fat and they prospered. So what did God do? He brought them low. And He brought them low for a reason. Because they forsook the living God. And the Bible says that He brought them low. But the Bible also tells us that in their distress, they called upon the name of the Lord. Psalms 18.4 says this. It says, David said, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of the ungodly men made me afraid. But then, then, then in my distress, I called unto the Lord. Not in prosperity, not in the good times, but when men made me afraid. Then in my distress, my flesh kind of finally got rid of itself and began to turn Godward. Look at the next one. Look at the next scripture. You need another one? Psalms 107. They cried unto the Lord in their trouble. If you only got one side of God, you need to get both sides. You got another Jesus. If your Jesus is all love and no wrath, you got the wrong Jesus. If your Jesus is all wrath and no love, you got the wrong Jesus. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them when they were in distress. Trouble, distress, and perplexity birth a cry for help in us. We see it as awful. God sees it as good. God can turn all things together for our good. Listen, the trouble, distress, perplexity. The giants, I heard a scripture, a sermon one time. The giants really are necessary. You know why the giants really are necessary? They crucify the flesh. We got a flesh problem. And we've got to have our flesh dealt with. And that's what all these trials and tribulations and perplexity and hardship are dealing with this thing called the flesh. Amen? Amen. And everybody wants a gospel without crucifixion of the flesh. 
But I got news, none of this flesh is going into heaven or we got more of what we got going on here. So God's going to deal with the sin issue. God's going to deal with the hearts. God's going to deal with the flesh. And no flesh shall glory in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. So trouble, distress, perplexity, birth, they cry for help. No one or nothing can keep Christ out completely. Listen, listen, you know what? The communists tried to keep Jesus out of their country. And what happened? When I was a little boy, I used to, I, 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 loved, I loved the Cold War. We're back in it again. I loved the Cold War, and I loved history, and I loved the fact, and, and I, to be honest, I was a lot scared about the, the Russians and the Americans. Who was going to nuke who first? And I can remember that, but I remember that struggle, and I remember reading and studying about the Bam curtain. I remember reading and studying about the Iron Curtain, how nobody could get into that. Not even God himself supposedly could get behind the Iron Curtain. God is dead as far as they say back behind that wall. But I got news for you. You can keep God out of nowhere because God owns everything. He owns everything and He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. And folks, what, what God said is you can do all you want, but the more you oppress, the more you try to put me out, the more you are just ripening the harvest. You're ripening the harvest. And they continue to try to do more and more to do that. And the more and more they did that, they ripened the harvest. And then I remember a glorious day in 1989 when Ronald Reagan got up. And I'll never forget it. And he said, Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. And folks, the wall just came tumbling down. And the gospel began to flood into the most atheistic, hardest places. Why? Because the fields, my friend, are wide under the harvest. And the darker the time, the greater the harvest. Amen? Because there have been little Soviet women inside of there praying. There have been little Soviet women in there saying, I know it's dark, God, but you're greater. I know we don't have a Bible, God, but I believe in you. I know I don't have a page of Scripture, but I remember somebody, my grandmama, who did have a Bible telling me about you. I remember them quoting a Scripture. I remember God so loved the world. And God, you love Russia. And God, you love China. And God, there's nothing to keep you out of this place. And so God, I know harvest is coming. God, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to tell people of your great love. And I know one day, God, you're going to flood this place with the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess what? I've been in the former Soviet Union. I've preached the word of God. And I've given altar calls. And I've seen hands go up a lot more than in America. A lot more than in America where our hearts have grown cold to the gospel. And where now we're sermon tasters. Well, I didn't really like that today. It's all we are now, sermon tasters. We go around, well, that was kind of good today. We go around to churches and just talk about how great that was or how bad that was. And I give it a 10 like Simon Cowell. Well, I give him a 9. It wasn't really good. The presentation wasn't all that great today. Gospel hearted. Gospel hearted. And hopefully those people over there where the cloud of darkness is beginning to encroach again on their lives, hopefully they're praying for us in America. Because we need God in America again. We need God in our families again. We need the fear of God in our churches again. We need the fear of God in our nation again. We need the fear of heaven and hell. We need the fear of Almighty God. We need the fear of sinning. Going out and sinning yesterday. And coming in this church today. And being unmoved by it. (laughs) 
It's in harvest time when Jesus said that the fields are ripe and plenteous. The darker the times, the wider the harvest. So let's talk about America's harvest over the past couple of decades. We talked about the 80s. We talked about the 90s. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the harvest in this nation. And let's talk about whether whether or not we've been effective here in the church. Because it's up to us. Let's talk about whether we in the church have become effective in preaching the gospel and taking the harvest in such times. Well, about in the 1980s because here's what began to happen in the church. What happened is there was a lot of people that began to get together and say the church is too out of date. And the church is it's just too traditional. And so we need to update it. We need to update it with music. We need to update it with worship style. We need to update it with technology. And we need to break away from this small thinking that we're in. And what they called it was the decade of the harvest. They called it the decade of the harvest. And out of that, uh, it led to what was called the church growth movement. And universities and all kinds of people, pastors and all kinds of seminaries begin to call, get behind this. It California and and in other places all over the United States and books began to be written and tapes were taken out and uh, at this time and pastors said yes we're going to modernize our churches we're going to get on board to this and it began what is to be called contemporary and seeker sensitive church and out of that became the beginning of the mega church movement And we began to have 10,000 and 20,000 and 30,000 in our churches. And we had these huge campuses like shopping malls and McDonald's in them and Starbucks in them. And sermons began to become illustrated with film clips of even rated R movies and all kinds of, uh, of different kinds of things. And by the end of the 80s and the 90s, they took a survey. Barna began to do all these surveys of churches and all of this movement and what's going on. And Gallup polls began to come out. And what they found out... At the end of a decade, Daniel, is there was absolutely no church growth at all. It was simply that they had swapped membership around. They had swapped people around. People had left the smaller churches to go to the bigger Disneylands and to get the frills and the bells and the whistles. And others left this place and that place. And we began to just swap Christians around to different places and different different situations. And all the transfers were just transfers from people who were all mostly Christian. And then to, towards 2000 they did a survey and they said this, they came out with this, less baby boomers are in church now than ever before. And now there's stagnation and no growth, they said, in the evangelical churches. And the church growth movement or the decade of the harvest they came to find out was unsuccessful. And now, folks, we saw a blip at 9-11 where people rushed to the house of God and quickly rushed out. And then we had COVID-19 that came. And now everybody's leaving church. And Jesus writes, the harvest is plentiful. And it's ripe. But the laborers are few. How with all the 10,000 seat megachurches How would the 30, 40, 50 here? And there's a church up here and there's a church over here and there's churches all over this place. How can we have all of that and yet Jesus say the laborers are few? And what he's really saying is they're not ready. 
Because the disciples come back when Jesus says these words and he's sitting there talking to a lady uh, that's a Samaritan woman right there and they don't get it. They don't get what he's doing. Why in the world would you talk to her? Because the harvest is ready. But you're not ready. The laborers are few. Come on. Wake up. He can't even tell his disciples at this point. They can't even go. The laborers are few. And here we are, folks, and it's plenteous, and we're not ready. The fields are ready and ripe them to wipe under harvest, but the laborers are few. I'm not screaming at you, but folks, I'm passionate about this. The church, we're not awake. We leave here every Sunday, go home, plop down in front of television, and don't get back up till the next Sunday. It's true. It's true. It's true of me. Go to work. Tired. Come home. Don't want to fool with anybody. Get up. Do it again. Do it again. Don't tell anybody about Jesus at work. Don't let my light so shine before men that they see my good work. No, they hear me complaining all the time. They hear me murmuring probably about one of you. Probably about each other. That we go in just griping and yelling and the countenance on our face looks pathetic. And we're saying, oh, the devil's after me. The devil got me this week. The devil got me this week. What about the victorious Christ who saved us? And there's some good people out there doing it. And there's some good labors and there's some good churches. But never have the fields been more ripe. I think about Jesus. This is not my, my example. It's one I heard. And this pastor said, what if Jesus had been in the Garden of Gethsemane, travailing and looked to our generation, the last generation, and seeing the complexity of problems, seeing the Canadian truckers in the street trying to push back tyranny, seeing the oppressive governments coming down on us, seeing the churches emptying out and people deciding, I don't want to follow Christ anymore, seeing people that are confused now about their very gender, whether they're a guy or whether they're a girl, seeing the confusedness of sexuality, seeing the promiscuity everywhere, seeing the lying and the cheating and the stealing and all that going on in the drug abuse and the false comforters and seeing all of this and saying it's a, the harvest is never more ripe than at that generation. The only problem is these people are leaning on their own flesh as methods to try to win the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's never going to work. Father, what are we going to do? And this is not what he said, but I'm just taking you there as what if he said in that hour they're never going to get the harvest in. There's no way with those fleshly schemes and methods and growth movements and all that they're doing, they're never going to get it. So let's send angels. Let's send angels and we're going to let angels bring in the harvest. And I know at the very, very end, He brings in the harvest that we've already gathered, folks. He brings in the harvest that the church has went out and spread the gospel and they separate this one from that one. But folks, He didn't leave it up to angels to do this. But let's just say that He saw that we weren't going to get it in and so He decided, let's send angels out there. And what 
What would happen if angels all of a sudden, I'm talking about thousands upon thousands of glorious angels came to planet earth, radiant and beautiful and glorious, and all of a sudden they came into the pulpit of this church, you would be mesmerized when they told you about heaven. I mean, they'd be able to tell you about heaven like nobody could ever tell you about heaven. They would be able to tell you about God like nobody ever told you about God. They've seen him. They've been there. They've worshipped around the throne of God for eons of ages. They would be able to tell you about the devil and just what a despicable creature he is. They would be able to tell you some glorious, glorious things. They would be on TV. They would be on interviews everywhere and people would be just amazed until until they got caught up in the things of this world. And all of a sudden it took their attention away and they begin to vibe for power and they begin to get jealous of one another and they begin to use different methods to try to impress and bring people to Christ and they begin to do all sorts of things and gimmicks and all of a sudden what would happen to those angels if they got and they started looking and lusting upon women and all sorts of things begin to take place in their heart what would happen to their witness I'll tell you what would happen to their witness it would become ineffective it would become just like ours our testimonies are so diminished because we're so wrapped up in the things of this world we no longer seek the face of Christ I'm not talking to you obviously you do you're here this morning you're here and you do. But, but we, no longer, we no longer show Christ that He has the power to change our lives. Often we're caught up in a murmuring and complaining spirit. Often we're saying He's our supplier, yet we're walking around sad with a sad countenance. Our countenance counts in this world now, folks. Our countenance matters when you walk in somewhere and we see somebody that doesn't even want to say good morning in the morning and they look miserable when we see you on this stage singing and you don't look happy. There's something wrong when we we brag about our Jesus and yet we look miserable when I look at a chew and we, we brag about our Jesus and we say he's the supplier and my God shall supply all my needs according to his great riches and glory and yet we look like we're miserable. We look like we have no hope. We look like our God is dead and not alive, folks. That affects the people outside these walls. I'm not talking about if you've gone through something as hard as a funeral recently. I'm not talking about there's periods of time in the world's understanding of that. But what I'm talking about is, 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 is walking around constantly. We need to fix our face. We need a Holy Ghost facelift. We need God to fix our hearts and allow Him talking to me too. And allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength. Amen. I know I'm not getting many clouds. I can feel the daggers. I can feel the bitterness out of hearts saying, how dare you? But I'm telling you, preach on, brother. Preach. Hallelujah. What difference is your Christ from our coping mechanisms, the world would say. But see, we, we don't have to suppose angels because the Bible says He didn't send angels. He sent us. He sent us. 
He sent us. And what does it mean to be laborers? Laborers, he says, are few. Listen, here's what I think. In Gideon's time, in Gideon's time, the Bible says that there were many who came and said, we want to go. We want to go to war. We want to be used. We want to we wanna go and fight. We'll fight the good fight of fight. We'll do this. But the Bible says that God saw the fear. He saw, he saw the unbelief in their hearts. And so what did he do? He whittled them down, the Bible says, to 300 that were willing to go into the fight. They were willing to go into the fire. They were willing to be burned. They were willing to be hammered out. They were willing to be filed. They were willing to be be, uh, shaped into something that was useful for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to do the harvest. A true laborer is a Christian whose walk proves that Christ is enough. They prove that Christ is all-sufficient. He's the all-sufficient ones. And those people become instruments in the hand of God. A harvest instrument in Christ's time was called a scythe or a seep. It's that curved thing, that, 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 that curved uh, blade. It was a long curved blade with an edge on it that's very sharp. And the blacksmiths would take it. There would be a long piece of straight metal. They would put it into the fire. They would take it out of the fire. They would beat it with a hammer, put it in the fire, take it out, beat it in the hammer until they got it curved and useful for taking the harvest and bringing in the harvest and then they would take it and they would bring it out and they would chisel the edge and file the edge folks and that's exactly what our father is doing to those who are willing to be harvesters that's why he said the laborers are few because not many are willing to go there he's saying I want to place you in the fire And some of you are in the fire right now. And you don't know why you're in the fire. But you're in the fire being shaped so that you can be useful. So you can be prepared for the harvest. Listen, what do you think the people around us at work are going to say if you're driving in your Mercedes Benz and you got a wad of money in your pocket and everything's going well with you and you say, try my Jesus. And they say, well, that's just fine and dandy. But our lives stink. We're struggling over here. But how about when they know you've gone through something? How about when they know you've lost a wife? How about they know that you've gone into the fire just like they've gone into the fire and God's brought you out and begin to hammer you into a tool that can be useful for somebody else that you can come and one day offer consolation and comfort to somebody else that's going through something where they lost their wife. And you can come up beside him and say, I know what you're going through. But you know what? I got a God. I got a God. I got a God who is faithful. I got a God who is true. I got a God who is more than enough. And yeah, the time I went through that, it stunk like the dicks dickens. I screamed out. I went into the woods. I hated life at that moment. But God, I turned to God. And God brought me through. And God shaped me into something. And God formed me into something. And God filed me down to where the edge was just right. So he could put it into the heart and bring forth some good fruit. Amen? So He prepares us because He knew the generation we'd face would be one of the worst generations on the face of the earth. He knew that there would have to be some people that were prepared and that would go through. He knew we would have wristwatches on our arm that we could pull up some of the most vile and disgusting things. He knew you could just get pornography right there. He knew you could get a picture of your girlfriend or boyfriend half naked right there. He knew that this generation would go through. He knew you could pull up and make a drug deal right there to go down the road. 
and get what you need to find comfort and relief. He knew the people and the kind of things that we would be facing in this generation and this time. And he knew he would have to have some go through the fire and come out and be hammered and be chiseled and be filed and be shaped so that we could come out and be useful in our master's hands. Amen. And he says, I have only a few ready for this harvest. I have only a few that are willing to go through the fires in order to offer comfort to others. And listen, I really believe this. Look at what this says. In our personal walk, we must have proof that God's promises work. That's fine for you to tell me about God's promises. But I tell you what, when Joni Erickson Tata tells me, if you don't know who that is, go look her up paraplegic all of her life, when she tells me God can bring you through suffering, when she tells me God can bring you through a trial, I believe her. And let me tell you, because I see it in her eyes. I see a lady that's been formed into a safe, a safe or a cipher, whatever, and she just siphed me right into the, into the presence of God. And when I see a man like David Wilkerson, and he stands at his 14-year-old granddaughter's uh, funeral and her casket after he's buried, family member after family member after family member of, of of cancer. This is a godly man and yet he's had to bury people. He's asked God why so many times and yet he's continued to have to bury people and yet he sits at the 14 year old granddaughter's casket and he says, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. I'll listen to somebody like that. I'll follow somebody's God like that. I'll follow somebody who's been through something, who's going through something, who's faced some of the most difficult uh, times, and we can come back and fire back. That's easy for you. You don't know what I've gone through. And they hit you with something else that's far worse, that their God has brought them through. I can listen to a Corey Tim Boom who has gone into a concentration camp and has come out and losing her father and losing her sister and losing all of her family members and going back and preaching to the very men who do who, the very people who killed her family and offering them the love of Jesus and looking at one of them in the face that took her sister and killed her and say I forgive you Amen. I can listen to somebody like that who's gone in and been prepared to take and go in the few laborers who have gone in and been willing to say, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to make me an instrument for you and for your glory. The fields are ready, they're right. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest field. God, I'm willing. I'm willing to go on the anvil. I'm willing to go into the fire and be taken out of the fire and go into the fire and taken out of the fire so that you can prepare me and make me useful because I want to see this last generation come to know you as Lord and Savior and Messiah. Amen? Amen. And they see that the gospel that we preach on the internet and everywhere has the power to keep us no matter. On the mountain time and in the valley. He's the God of the good times and He's God of the bad times. Amen? And He'll bring you through everywhere and every time amen don't whine to the world about the devil always out to get you as i said earlier talk about the victory of the cross that has made us whole and saved our souls listen to what jesus said he said basically quit limping around here's what he said in the song of solomon let me see your voice and your countenance he said your countenance is comely and it's lovely 
He wants to see a lovely countenance that he is changed by the power and the transformation of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And folks, here's what I want us to see in the days ahead. We talked about it's time to go out and it's time to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And the greatest witness we're going to have is our testimony and it's going to be our lives so shining before men because we can preach a hundred sermons, but they're going to watch our lives. They're going to see if we really put our money where our mouth is. This is the living epistle that they're going to read and all men are going to read it and watch it and see if you're the real deal and if you what you say about your God really if the promises you talk about really will sustain you in the days ahead and keep you coming through and when they see that and watch that eventually they're going to say I want that and so here's what we got to do in the days ahead at Brookside Church of God we got to refuse to weary ourselves with our own plans and strategies again of how to bring in the harvest And here's what I'm begging you to do, the few that are willing. The few that are willing, you've got to submit your life into the hands of God. And you've got to let Him do what He needs to do now in order. In order to bring in the harvest and make you a ready laborer. And I want to be that, and I want this church to be that, no matter if it's just a significant, small remnant. I want us to be useful in our master's hands. And maybe we'll hear this, and I'm closing. Job 12, 9, where Job was told, and Job went through some pretty tough stuff, wouldn't you say? And listen to what he comes out in Job 12, 9. It says, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? Maybe they'll look at our lives and look at this little church and the foolishness and the insignificance of the things we do. And maybe when God works in our lives through all the highs and lows and the difficulties, maybe they'll be able to say, who among all these does not know yet but that the hand of the Lord has done this in their lives. And here's what the harvest looks like in Revelation 5, 9. Listen, I'm not worried about the harvest because Christ is going to bring it in with a few labors and he's going to make it happen. Here's what the Lord of the harvest says in Revelation 5, 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals therein. For thou was slain slain, and you redeemed us to God by thy blood. And here's where it comes, the harvest. Out of every kindred and every tongue and every people and every nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Listen, God's going to have a harvest out of every tribe, tongue, kindred, people, and nation. But He commissioned you to go do it. He commissioned you to go do it. And now it's time to go. Folks, it's time to go into the harvest field. They've never been more ripe. I'm begging you with all that is in me, please. Do you know what? The the, the Barna also found out in that church group movement that most Christians, that there are hardly any Christians anymore that ever, especially in America, that have ever led one soul to Jesus Christ or share their faith with anybody. So let that sink in for a minute. Are you willing to go before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords after He gave you so much and to come empty-handed? Would not one soul bury the talent and the life that He put in us and the voice 
that he gave us and the word of God that he's given us and the testimony, the story that he's given us to tell. And yet we, we're going to hold that in. We're going to go bury I thought you were a hard man, so let me just give you back what you gave me. No, we want to go, folks. We want to go uh, from the least of us to the greatest. And we want to publish this gospel and take it to the four parts of the four corners of the earth. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for your word today, God. I pray that this somehow got into the soul of somebody, God. I pray that, 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 that you would make our hearts care. I pray that you would make us, uh, God, our hearts uh, uh, soft. I pray that you would make our hearts ready. I pray that you would make our hearts pliable. I pray, God, that you would call us to be evangelists, God. I pray, God, I never hear anybody anymore saying, I'm called to be a preacher. I never hear many people anymore say, I'm called to be evangelists. I don't hear many people say, I'm called to be a teacher to our young children. I'm called to be a, a Sunday school teacher. I'm called to, be, uh, to go into the streets and to publish the gospel. I'm called to go to, to Haiti. I'm called to go to Romania. I'm called to go to Moldova. I'm called to go to the nations of the world. God, would you call people in this room? Would you raise them up? Would you take them, God? They're like Saul on the road to Damascus. They're going their own way. Maybe they're in high, they're in high school. Maybe they're in college. Maybe they got, they got their eyes set. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. But God, turn them and take them the way that you want to go. Take them on the path of life that you want to send them, God. Put a Bible in their hand. Put your word in their mouth. Put your spirit in their heart and call them to go, God. Call them to go into the highways and byways and the hedges and to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to everywhere and everybody, God. And Lord, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name.